Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait What, a comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Graham McMillan and I are back for the first part of episode 63 to talk comics. More specifically, some very offbeat comics from around the world, such as The Spy vs. Spy Omnibus by Antonio Proheus, Nemesis the Warlock by Pat Mills, Kevin O'Neill, and John Bolton, Stranium Dog by John Wagner, Alan Grant, and Carlos Esquerra, Crying Freeman by Kazuo Koike, and Ryuichi Ikigami, and more praise for the astounding Ganges Number no. 4 by Kevin Hazinka. Uh, and that will probably be the most names I've ever mangled in 30 seconds, so my apologies to all. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. Graham, Graham, Graham. I'm glad we started that out. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thank you. I realized I have to change my Skype picture because it's still me flipping off Skype, which sort of feels like it's flipping you off. Really it, it has, I'm glad you said that because it always feels like you're flipping me off. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, what have I done to piss Jeff off now? I don't understand. Another angry call from him, but we, we talk practically every week. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I need to change that. I was looking at him like, huh, it's really not... Uh, it, it, yes. It's that sort of day. <laughs> yes. no, I, I've just updated my Firefox, which I never do. Because I was like, I should probably update my browser. God God <laughs> knows why. It's the day when we're thinking we should probably take care of all that stuff. Yeah, it totally is. It is. Maybe this is the opposite of spring cleaning. It's like winter tech cleaning. I don't know. It's um, cleaning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, I had this great... Uh, like like I'm I'm was all set to read like a ton of comics um for our talk and then sort of was getting started a little late and I'm like, oh shit, I had rebooted my PC that had my C B Z reader on it uh-huh. and I'm like, uh I I can't read any of the files that <laughs> Well, that's so, good, because I also haven't gotten to the comic store, so this week we're going to not going to be talking Oh my god, about- really? Oh, yeah. Graham, that's terrible. Hey, I'd like to point out that yesterday I was taking care of much more important things for the real life. Remember I emailed you and told you what I had been doing all afternoon? You clearly don't. <laughs> <laughs> Remember I said oh, I just yes. went back no, 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 somewhere? No, no, no. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then I had to do work, so I was working until like 7 o'clock or something. Right, right. Sorry for that. Uh, congratulations again on that other real life thing, though. Yeah, no, it's it's great, but it just like it took, you know, two hours out of my day that I, and then didn't have. Like it just meant I didn't I didn't get to the comic store. Wow. Well, I did get to the comic store, but only picked up six comics and figured what I would do is kind of make up on the fly for some of the other stuff. Like I did manage to read the point one comic. Oh, by- I, I read that because I read that when um, I got a. PDF from Marvel, so oh, hey. so we can talk about that. Woohoo! Also, oh, as you said, I read Ganges last week. I got, I got yes. it the weekend. Holy mother of God, that's amazing! Isn't it astonishing? It's so good. I I I am just in awe of again, just not only how he builds on each issue, but. Oh, it's, I mean, really, you know, like issue three, I thought was, okay, well, he'll probably do something else or go somewhere else. I was not expecting for him to somehow, like, take all of this and build on it yet again for issue yeah, that Yeah, that's what's amazing. I mean, it follows on. It's a funny thing. is, I actually read all of Ganges up to date before uh, really? issue four. Um, and what's really strange is issue one and issue three and issue four are essentially one story. Yes. But issue right. two isn't. Yeah, what? Well, I, I actually had that feeling of like, okay, I knew one, three, and four because, of course, the the concept couldn't be more simple. But what's issue two? Is it the video game issue? Issue two is the video game issue. Issue two is the game that the first third or so is mm-hmm. is the video game itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last part of it is him remembering when he worked somewhere where they played video yes. games a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which doesn't – I mean it kind of makes sense to an mm-hmm. extent, but it also really doesn't. And I wonder if – Basically, he read, he did issue one and then did issue two being like, I'm going to do something else. Mm-hmm. And then with issue three, he thought, no, I really want to go back to what issue one was. Yeah, like he reread it and was like, you know, I am going to. Well, for a while he was doing he was doing Ganges and he was also doing Or Else. Yeah, so and then Or Else. I, 
Yeah, like so I'm that. thinking. Yeah, so maybe maybe the idea was he was going to do the video game stuff for or else, and then folded it into Ganges. Well, the other thing is that the video game stuff in Ganges too pretty much gets extended to its own book. Because remember, he did. God, I can't remember what the name of the book is. I always want to call it Evolve or Die, but that's not what it's called. Oh, not not the not fight or die. The- yeah, yeah, fight or die. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he then did essentially, the, you know, it, it, they're variations on a theme. They're not the same thing, but yes. so he kind of did that as his own book anyway. Well, which is the thing that kind of is amazing to me uh, overall is is just like the the fact that he all the stuff that he does formalistically, uh, and there is this sort of through line of. I guess consciousness. It really, I mean, four just knocked me on my ass. It is. I think it's just one of the the comics of the year. Oh, it it, it entirely is. It's just a beautiful, beautiful piece of work. And honestly, there's I can't even remember where it was. There's one part where I was reading it, and I was like, Jeff would really get a lot. Like Jeff would love this. I think it's the part where he's talking about the books that you should read when you're trying to fall back to sleep. Yes, yes, which I adored. Yeah, that was fantastic and also his like walking around and, and trying to find the one book after yes yeah, which staring there is the with, the, with the whole I have too many books and then death comes along and essentially says you're never going to read all of them <laughs> I love that <laughs> which, that's which right that whole cameo you, by death yeah. going on and on yeah fantastic yeah oh good I'm so glad you got to read uh, that. I, that I loved was it I thought it was piece. amazing the other thing yeah. that I thought was really nice is the uh, the silly jokes in it Mm-hmm. I love that one of the books he picks up is called Classics Classic by Classic Classics. Look what is a classic. Yes. <laughs> That's such a silly joke, but I love it. I think it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, no, I I did too. I'm I'm he's just able to go. The fact that he can do all this stuff and, you know, in some ways he's sort of like the anti-Chris Ware, I think, you know, because oh, he's yeah, just You know what I mean? Like just he's not at all he's it's not chilly, it's actually quite warm, it's still formalistic as hell, but in a very light and lively and engaging way. Well, you know. Well I wrote a thing for CBR this week about it and I honestly I'm reading Ganges Four and I, for some reason I just could not stop thinking of Eddie Campbell. Mm. Mm-hmm. That it's really similar to Eddie Campbell, but also completely different. Yeah. But there's a humanity there and a kindness there and a willingness to be itself and not try and fit in with an idea of comics, if that makes sense. That really reminded me of Eddie Campbell throughout the whole thing. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I think think that could be a good comparison too. Yeah, no, he's just... Knocks me out. That was was pretty stellar. So... Well, good. I'm glad you got a chance to read that. Uh, That'll be an awesome segue. (laughs) So, Gadgets 4, in some ways, not unlike Point 1. I'm trying to think if... if, Have you read anything that's closer to Ganges? (laughs) Oh, than Point 1? Yeah, than Point 1. Yeah, no. I've... Yes. I was going to say, because I've read some weird comics this week, but I don't think I've got anything that's really close to Ganges. Oh, that's great, because I've read... This has been my week of reading and finishing some super weird comics. So this might <laughs> this be is the great. podcast. This is the yeah, po- this is it. comics podcast. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, let's hear about your weird comic. I can't wait. Uh, let's see. I got the Spy vs. Spy Omnibus from DC yesterday. Holy shit. They, just, they just shipped that to you? Yep. Are you jealous? Are you a, are you a spy versus spy fan? Yes, I'm kind of motherfucking jealous. Oh god, um, Jeff, I'll mail it to you. <laughs> no, seriously, I'll mail it to you. Wow, I'm stunned. Although that being said, I think that Tom Spurgeon had a really great point uh, when in when he was talking about it in his little column about the books that are being released this week, mm-hmm. where he was like. Spy vs. Spy never seems to have quite found its perfect format, and he was like, well, maybe this omnibus will be it. But his he just had an offhand observation, which was, like, perhaps Spy vs. Spy was best served by being essentially a wordless strip in such a wordy comic. Yes, I, you know? I, I'm not sure. It's very odd reading it in this omnibus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually really odd for me, because I've never actually read Spy vs. Spy before really never read it so the first time I'm reading it is this like 400 page omnibus of all of Antonio Proces' work like all of it 
And it's actually also got his non-Spy vs. Spy mad work in there as well. And examples of the Peter Cooper Spy vs. Spy. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's a hefty volume. It's, it's uh, I'm going to see if there's actually page numbers. Yeah, it's like 360 pages. Good lord. Um, and so it's really odd reading it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's one of those things where you're like, that's funny, that's funny. But it's so repetitious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That, that it really... really was best broken up by all the everything else. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so Where, it's, yeah. it's really strange that you're going all the way through it and you can see it, it causes this weird thing where you start reading it differently you start reading it and appreciating the formalism of it mm-hmm. as opposed to getting the jokes if that makes sense yeah yeah no I can see that I mean it's sort of the way that people talk about like when they read like lots of Ernie Bushmiller's Nancy you know, yeah, where you, you become just, really focused on the variations of the on the theme as opposed to mm-hmm. the theme. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, and that's it. I mean, you know, spy versus spy. Like after about eighty pages, or who knows, maybe even fifteen in my case. Like the thing that becomes really the most uh, interesting is the way that he draws like the stuff that flies out of walls you know what I mean like there's always that he's got that thing for that sort of I'm proving what an illiterate boob I am but you know that sort of metal accordion type thing you know that always kind of ratchets it ratchets out you know what I mean like what the hell is that called I really don't know what you're talking about you don't know okay no. like for example like a classic example might be um, are you talking like the, the, the shaving mirrors the extending shaving mirrors that... yeah I guess that's it but yeah. there's like always things like like dynamite on the extent of the shaving mirrors yeah, yeah. you know what I mean yeah, no, like I, I know arms yeah so the, he just has an obsession with those I feel and, and maybe maybe that's just my memory but I remember as a kid like he would always have things where they put dynamite on them and like scooch them across long alleyways at each other or like they would open a door and they, it would be rigged so that yeah or, be, or like, they'll a drop panel. something they'll get someone to look out a window and then they'll drop something on them or yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's, that's like, that it's much more violent than I expected Mm-hmm. I don't know why I expected it to be less violent, but there's you, you, there's a sense of wow, like this is it's almost yeah, it's itchy and scratchy. Before it, it is itchy and scratchy, but it's almost made safer because it's so abstract. Yeah, like the art is very abstract, and and so I think if it was drawn by anyone more realistically, you'd be like, holy crap. Oh yeah, you'd be mortified. But like when when their faces peel off and there's still that weird beak-like face. I mean, it really is a brilliant design. Oh, it, it's it's spectacular. And there's there's some I mean, there's some great stuff in there. I love there's one strip where the white spy decides he's going to con the black spy by painting himself black so the black spy will think he's looking at himself at the same time as the black spy thinks he'll paint himself white for the exact same joke. And the joke is that they see each other and they they look opposite. But the punchline is they're both in therapy together after that. <laughs> and I love that. I love that they're both in therapy together. I mean, I know it's just because he's like got one panel left, but I just love, right. like, there's something added to it by the fact that they're both seeing the same therapist at the same time. Right. Well, yeah, because there is that thing. They they are great. I do remember. I would swear there are scenes where, like, both of them are in, like, in their nightshirts or something like that, and and this weird comradely, you know, it's always that hilarious, like, classic comic team, you know, moment of high slapstick where they put aside their, like, enmity to, like, do something like have tea together and then go back to... Oh, know, exactly. Yeah, there, there's one... Also, it was spy versus spy versus spy for a while. Did you know that? No, I had no idea. There was a female spy. Oh, my God. Where's Grey? Really? Yes. In, like, the first two years of the strip, he introduces this female spy, and she only lasts for, like, a year. And she's not in it all the time. But when she's in it, it's renamed Spy versus Spy versus Spy. Oh, my God. And it's oh her my God. completely screwing them over. That is a mind-blower. That really is. No, I was really like, good. I was like, what? <laughs> what the hell? It's like the green M&M, like, decades before such a thing could have been thought of. Wow, talk talk about a, a brand innovator. But um, but yeah, in one of those strips, the, the black and the white spy are sunbathing together. 
<laughs> and actually, that's a that's a really impressive strip because all throughout the book, it's got it's got examples of uh, Price's sketches before he did mm-hmm. inks. Um, but for that strip, the first four panels were entirely redrawn because in the first two panels they're smoking, and Bill Gaines was so anti-smoking that smoking could not appear anywhere in Mad. And so really? instead of pasting it out, he just redrew the first four panels. Wow. And they've got the original panels and the printed panels. And it's each other. It's, yeah, it's a good book. I, it put this way, if you're a Mad versus, uh, Spy versus Spy fan, as you are, I think you'll love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, well, yes, especially for the Graham McMillan price point. Good Lord. <laughs> the price on the back, I have to... I, of Mad, I, I guess I must have read Spy vs. Spy because I've read Mad, and it's always been in Mad, right? It's not yeah, skip. Right, so exactly. I guess I must have read it. I just had no recollection of it. But um, well, you know exactly because yeah, it, there's only one or two per issue, maybe three, I think. And of course, they're all like a page or two pages top, so it's such a thin part of the magazine. The the price in the back of the book has the USA price and cheap behind it, as they always do, and then the Canadian <laughs> price, and it goes cheap, eh? It's <laughs> such a such a pathetic joke, but I loved it. Yeah, that's kind of lovely that they uh, that they paid that sort of attention to detail. Well, this is great because let me tell you, the book that I wanted to talk to you about is pretty much exactly Spy vs. Spy. Oh, what is it? Well, do you want to guess based on that minimal a description? <laughs> no, because I could be anything. It's Gene Scratchy, the book. I have no idea. Yeah. Okay, this is going to blow your mind that I've made this leap, but I think you'll see it. Unless you haven't read the book, in which case it's incredibly moot. Nemesis the Warlock. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, yes, I could see it. And what's funny is I read Bad Company. The really? The strip, yes. <laughs> and I read The Judge Dread Apocalypse War. So this, oh, my this God. It's an week. Wow. It okay. is How did you like Nemesis the Warlock? Have you read it before? I I I have to admit I am ash- I'm ashamed. I had not read it before. You know, it was one of those things where they kept back in the 80s when they f- were reprinting Judge Dredd for the f- re- first time, I think, in the U.S., they would throw the Nemesis, the Warlock strips in there, and I just, I didn't like them. I mean, I was, you know, I was like... It's an acquired taste. It really is. It really is. So I feel kind of bad, so I was like rampantly behind the curve, and I kept telling myself I was going to read this thing forever. And uh, and then, you know, I, you I had the... I had, yeah, exactly. I had books one through four sitting around, and finally got to them in so, that done in one is that one through four in the series sense or are the books collections books, of more than one series yeah books one through four exactly and in fact i i was like i thought oh well that's it but i don't i imagine there's more it goes all about to book 10 i'm pretty sure oh, okay that totally makes sense because there were like dangling plot lines and i'm kind of surprised that when i finished the book i'm like oh well i guess it didn't get any farther than that <laughs> which is really like i was like um uh... The thing that's amazing is I really I really enjoyed Nemesis the Warlock. Uh, it it's really like part of me was kind of I don't know. Do you remember how somebody was asking the other week like compare Alan Moore to Stan Lee kind of thing? You know, <laughs> is Pat Mills the, the the block between them? I I think so. I was going to say that Pat Mills being the Brit Stan Lee would be a more interesting case to be made. Well, that's I think. that's. Definitely, I think you can really make that case because he was one of the movers and shakers behind Action and 2000 AD and yes, Top exactly. Stick later on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And as editor and as writer, um, you know, I, I think hugely in that sense influential on, 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 I assume, the UK comic scene for that. Yeah, for, um, for a long, long time. And actually, I think he's still writing for 2000 AD now. I want to say Nemesis made a comeback really recently. It could I, that would totally make sense because I want to say God where I I think the, the last time I went to San Diego Matt Maxwell and I cornered him at the 2000 AD booth and had a great time talking to him. He, I what shocked me was that he was one of the nicest guys, just kind of like in just a really sort of modest way because. Um, yeah, so he's like he's kind of like the UK Stanley. I think you caught him on a good day. Oh, really? Are there stories? Have you read Thrill Power Overloads, the history of 2080? No, I haven't. First of all, I really recommend it. I think it's a really good mm-hmm. book. And the reason I'm reading all the 2080 stuff is I just finished rereading it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, Pat Mills can be uh, a tough guy when he wants. Well, yeah. See, this is kind of the thing. I I don't know why, but like all the books that I had read by him, sort of, I was like, I don't know. I just kind of got that sense. And who knows? Maybe there was the stuff being spoken of, you know, Sub Rosa or something that I hadn't paid attention to. But yeah, no. He, we must have caught him when he was was uh, yeah fully liquored up or something. Anyway, Nemesis the Warlock. I I love the hell out of the. I actually I enjoyed the 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 whole thing. I thought it was fascinating seeing it move from one thing uh, under Kevin O'Neill to because this is books one through four. It finishes up with the the Goth Empire stuff that's drawn by Brian Talbot, mm-hmm. um, and and so it becomes a very different thing. In fact, what what fascinated me is is that by the time you get probably halfway through book four for me I was like oh right Nemesis the Warlock like despite all the absolutely insane Kevin O'Neill stuff designs that are you know sort of incremental uh, essential to it it's it's almost like a newspaper strip it's kind of like if Flash Gordon was a horse you know what I mean (laughs) yeah I can totally see that I love that description of it (laughs) So it's it's really uh, amazing reading it and going like, oh, right. Like he would totally, you know, did this fantastic swerve around um, anything approaching superhero strips. But this is straight out of classic newspaper strips. Like, you know, you can see the Flash Gordon influences, <clears throat> the Prince Valiant influences, which seem really strong. Um, well, so- and I was, what's that? I, uh, no, on you go. I, and I was just going to say, I was just kind of, I was, I was in awe of seeing those influences there. I was also just stunned by most of the stories. The vast majority of them are like four pages long. So, seeing that storytelling get jammed into four pages, sometimes six. It looks like maybe it's more six towards the end with the Goth Empire stuff. Mm-hmm. But even real early on, like the the first set of things with Kevin O'Neill. It's four pages, and seeing how they got around that, because in some places it just seemed like a cheat to me. It was like four pages, but Kevin O'Neill's clearly drawing eight. Like, suddenly you've got these amazing (laughs) 16-panel pages or something like that, and it's like, hmm, that's a... I mean, it's not a cheat. It's just, I think, for the writers, I was like, well, that's convenient. Um, I liked it. It was really... It was odd. It, like I said, the newspaper, the, the, the visual glory of it under O'Neill at first, um, and then moving into an entirely different thing with Talbot. Um, I guess my only complaint is, of course, at the end, as I assume you know, and the end of Volume 4, like, he brings back the ABC Warriors. Yes. Um, and Bad Company. And that was kind of this weird, for me, not having read those... Books. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, you know, the Nemesis is pretty much a spinoff of Rollbusters, right? Yeah, well, see, that's it. I did buy that, <laughs> but I didn't know. You're like, where like, did that come from? Exactly. Yeah. It was like the way that it's presented in the beginning. It sounds like it's a spinoff of a tube song, you know. So I don't know. Well, the okay, so it's a spinoff of one episode of I want to say Rollbusters, but it might have been ABC Warriors by then, which is essentially the same story as the first episode of. Um, Nemesis the Warlock mm-hmm. the Pat Mills wrote Kevin O'Neill drew and mm-hmm. if I, unless I'm misremembering Pat Mills basically saw it and was like oh I've got to do this again and we've got to make it a series because <laughs> uh, Kevin O'Neill was he was the art editor of 2018 when it launched right and he quit after mm-hmm. for, uh, not not a long time I mean maybe like three four right. years like fairly early on um but the publisher of 2008 didn't like his work, mm-hmm. and so they, they kept on having to like basically sneak him into the comic mm. until they came up with Nemesis. Right, right. Well, and his stuff is amazing. There's just designs there. Like it, it, it's such an amazing form of excess. Like I just love the fact, like the the page that I opened up that struck me at the time is there. There's a point where you see all these large misshapen 
shirtless men and then you realize that those are just buildings and there's walkways across their belly that people are like talking on like the sense of scale that he had that he was working with was just so insane you know and the visual grotesquery of the early half of the book Mm -hmm. is just just was mind warping have you read much 2080 especially early 2080 no, no, no. I mean, apart I, from I, I, like some of the Judge Dredd stuff. Yeah, if that. I, I kind of wanted. I kind of wanted to just be like, Jeff, you should read X, Y, and Z, because right. when you're talking about the the newspaper strip influence and the swerving away from superheroes, and especially the shortness of each episode and how much they pack into it, right? That's that's early 2018. I mean, right? There's a. I got this the Strontium Doll collection, which is John Wagner and Alan Grant, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and Carlos Escara. Mm-hmm. And it actually started in a spin-off of two thousand. Oh, not spin-off, but a parallel title from two thousand eighty. Mm-hmm. And then when that title got folded, it went into two thousand eighty. And originally, uh-huh. it had like I think eight page stories, eight page episodes. Wow. And then it gets folded in two thousand eighty, and it's like four pages. And it goes from essentially like fully painted art mm-hmm. to line work. So it gets mm-hmm. in some sense like massively reduced. But mm-hmm. once it gets to the and they do that, it, everything just gets crystallized. It's like they're, it's like they're thinking we don't have time to mess around anymore. Well, we that's to, it. We have to just do this, and it becomes this wonderful, pulpy, mm-hmm. just genius. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's shameless. It's shameless storytelling. This whole yeah. stuff of Strontium Dog is he's a bounty hunter. Um, he the, all the Strontium Dogs are mutants uh, because of a, a, a nice top called Strontium Ninety, mm-hmm. uh, and they all have. It's like X Men, except like their gifts are just kind of useless, <laughs> right? Um, but they're all misshapen for the most mm-hmm. part. They're they're all horribly misshapen, or or you know they they don't have cool X Men powers. Is what I'm saying, right. um, but they're so they're used as bounty hunters because they're the lowest of the low, right? And the the story that I still think is the best Strontium Dog story uh, is one where. It starts off really, you know, low key with them going, "We've got this job. It's a really big job," but they don't tell you who it is, and everyone's competing. They're like, "It's lots of money. I'll do it." And then, but they're like, "Oh, it's a time travel job. You've got to go back and get Hitler." <laughs> I'm like, "That's it's that shameless." <laughs> and so they go back. And they actually get Hitler. Oh my god! And get Hitler because Hitler has employed a lookalike to be a decoy and it's the lookalike that dies against the scar industry while they take Hitler into the future to get tried for his crimes oh my god and there's that level of I mean you just couldn't do that in comics now do you know what I mean people would be like that's so shameless but there's something about that level of shamelessness that is completely spectacular and Nemesis is the same thing I mean Mm especially in the early episodes but also much later on when you get to like John Hinkleton drawing it which I want to say uh-huh. seven maybe eight um, it it gets completely shameless again uh, I don't uh-huh. but I mean have you got to the part where Satanist shows up uh no okay so no, Satanist is a, is a time tossed clone of a dinosaur oh that's brilliant <laughs> um, which again is a spin off of another Pat Mill strip <laughs> see, Mills, see, they uh, were just. Bob Mills literally ties together like seventeen stories eventually. <laughs> I totally believe it because when the the Robuster stuff comes in, there's that amazing sequence where um, Nemesis like explains that he's actually one of the lost ABC warriors. I don't know, Deadlock or some guy or something. And I was just like, what? Like, I really had this like huge thing of like. Like I didn't care because, of course, I hadn't read the other stuff. But I'm totally sure somebody was like, "Holy you know, shit!" Right? Like read that, and their mind was blown. Like this was like the best fucking thing ever. Well, they, but I just they do that yes. all the way through. Like 2080 has a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. uh, Nemesis weirdly ties in with like Judge Dredd continuity. Wow. Um, I, yeah, it's it's great. There's there's all these weird connections that you can make if you if you really get anal about it. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I I. I Nemesis kind of scared me as a kid because of the Kevin O'Neill art. Yeah, no, well, that's. I think that's it. It just seemed wrong when I was young. Like I was kind of, and even though I was in my late teens or even college age at that point, I was just like, I, I just don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. You know, it was just. It seemed so super nihilistic and creepy and crappy. And then when you, you know, it's like the humans are the bad guys. And then when you read it, like reading it now, like for the most part, it has. 
like once the O'Neill art goes away, in a way that sort of disappears. You know, mm-hmm. like Talbot's stuff is gorgeous to look at, but just like kind of a completely different form of thing. Yeah, it becomes a very different strip. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. But it does still also have some very some real high weirdness in it too. You know, I mean it. It's still nothing as great as like by the time that Torquemada dies, uh, supposedly for the last time, and he's like his mutations like growing out of control and he's basically turning into this enormous grub with the knights crawling all over him, stabbing him to death. Mm -hmm. Like it's like that is, yeah. And they're yelling death to the antibody or something. It is his slug like body swollen to vast proportions, swarming with his kill crazy terminators, like a gigantic termite exclamation point. <laughs> There's just something so it's still creepy. Like oh, it's no, no, really it is. one of those there, things that's like it, it's yeah. it's yeah, it's it's a very odd, odd series. I just having looked up Wikipedia, you'll be able to know that there's three complete Nemesis the Warlock collections. First one is books one through four. Right. That's so you, what I just you could just get volumes two and three. Yeah. And then you're I'll done. <laughs> Yes, exactly. And then I'm done. Well, I totally, I believe me, I totally enjoyed this. But um, it, it's funny. It, it's a, tr- it'll be an interesting transition to the next crazy comic down the road because my one complaint, in a way, is much as I enjoyed reading it, I, I was kind of bummed I wasn't reading it on digital. Doesn't that sound really dumb? Like I don't know. That's like, completely I just found- surprising. Why? Well, okay. I, I think because I just had this big like you know this this omnibus is like i don't know several hundred pages um at least and i would just i would pick it up it was like picking up a sears like the sears catalog or something to totally date me uh you know it's like i pick it up i would read four pages i i was reading it before we'd go to bed too so it's like i would read as much as i could before Edie was like you know would be like no more that's it we're going <laughs> we're turning out yes, the light. that's it we're done Exactly. Um, and it, it felt like it kind of took forever, and I'd forget to bring it out of the bedroom, so there would be times when I'd be in the living room, and I'd be like, oh, I should read that, and then I'm like, Ugh. Okay, so by contrast, I um, my other crazy comic that I wanted to talk about was um, I bought the first two volumes of Crying Freeman uh, on the Dark Horse app. How um, is that? I've heard spectacular things from people I respect, and yet never on a sleeping tent just pick it up for myself yeah I, I don't know how to describe it I really I, I was like I think I unfortunately like used most of my genius on you know as if Flash Gordon was a horse because I had it the other day <laughs> it's, it's kind of like um, imagine that you uh, decided that you wanted to do Batman but it was important that instead of him being an avenging figure of the night, he was a naked, tattooed assassin. And you wanted to do it as an erotic comic, and it was also important to you that you hired a lunatic to write it. So that's kind of crying Freeman. Like and it starts off. That sounds wonderful and terrible. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It is. It is wonderful and terrible, Graham. So I downloaded two volumes of it, and because Dark Horse has these super crazy omnibus-type things, it was 800 pages wow. on my iPad. And I read it all in, like, I don't know, maybe three days tops, and it warped my brain. Like, I was kind of like... So, because it starts out, the gist of it is there is this woman who has seen... Um, an assassination take place and she knows like the assassin who was of course crying as he killed the last person told her his name and she's like I know this means that he's going to come and kill me because he was some member of the Chinese triad and she's like she's like but if only he knew that I and basically he shows up to kill her and she's like I have one request before you kill me I'm a virgin please make love to me and he of course says I I too am a virgin. So right off the bat, you've got the most awesome story in the history of mankind. No, honestly, that's the part where I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah, see, Graham, it gets so much crazier. So then they have the sex, and then they're like basically in love with one another, and he refuses to kill her. And then um, there's kind of this whole crazy, because she knows, the first part is almost like, a stand, sort of like a standard action movie, 
but crazy because he keeps stripping off his clothes and he usually gets entirely naked when he fights the other assassins too which is mind-blowing i mean he's got awesome tattoos no doubt but there's just something really strange about a guy with like shaded out genitalia like wait 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 wait, wait, wait. it's 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 an erotic thriller and they shade out the genitalia well, yeah, because it, because it's Japan. So so there's hardcore sex scenes, for example, where you you get the digital blurring on the on the female bits, uh, on the female genitalia, I should say. And the, there's a couple of scenes with the with the male where people are gripping shadow things or like filleting light tubes. You know what I mean? I feel horrible telling you all this, Graham. I, I know you don't I, much I, I'm just so like, you're like, <laughs> my troops. I, I don't know what to say to that. Right. I don't so, know how to react. <laughs> so it gets so much more insane, though, Graham. This is the thing that's so crazy is first you find out his, you know, the first part's almost like a demented action thriller because after he falls in love with her and refuses to kill him and then she is being pressured by the police and also the gangsters that, you know, crime Freeman has killed are all obsessed with like catching her, making her talk and give this guy up. Meanwhile, he's receiving all this pressure from the triad that he works for because even though he's Japanese, he's part of this Chinese assassin guild, the 98 Dragons or something like that. To, you know, he's being pressured to kill her. She's being pressured to like reveal his name. But of course, they stay true to each other because they have bonded and they're in love. Anyway, he shows up, kills more assassins, saves her, sends her off to an island. Um, and then goes off to do more killing, and then, of course, they get found out. It, it seems like very standard manga, cat and mouse, spy thriller stuff, but then then he is given command. He basically ends up inheriting the the crime family, the 98 Dragons, of which he's been the top assassin for. He ends up becoming their leader and, like, basically roving around the world on a, 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 a submarine, like a, a, a tattooed <laughs> submarine. Like, he and this the, this chick, they get married, and then they float around in this tattooed submarine uh, having adventures, just fighting asked, other crime factories. Yes? How, how many pages does it take to get to that point? Um, tell, tell me that's, like, at the end of the second omnibus. Yeah, it is toward the end. Okay, that's fine. It, as long as it's not, like, you know, by the end of the first chapter... They've done all no, this, right. and because that, right. that no, sounds no, no, like no. you know Kirby-esque levels of insanity. Exactly. So. No, this is actually played out over like it was kind of like he had this whole idea that was going to play out for a time, and once he got it finished, he's like, "Well, I don't quite know what to do." And at first, it's going to be escalating. First, it escalates where because Crying Freeman's in the position to take over the 98 Dragons, the other members of the triad, who were the other top assassins, try to kill him and stop him, and of course kidnap his bride. But weirdly enough, that gets aborted like super early, so like the strange, crazed fat lady commando who's like his deadliest enemy like swears her fealty to him and then he gets the tattooed submarine so pretty soon they're like all running around together having adventures and she's like bathing them and giving them like tongue massages and stuff it's very odd and then they end up like you know he ends up like drawing the ire of this you know Africa's you know some African nations like top crime cabal and they begin the process of destroying the crime cabal from inside the thing that's weird is this is way into like this second omnibus but in the first omnibus like the group that crying Freeman works for are clearly assholes like he was an innocent who uh, artist? He was like a clay maker, uh, oh, of course a pot he maker. Was. Of course he was. Who made beautiful pottery in clay, and then ends up essentially being kidnapped, um, and through the villainous powers of acupuncture, reprogrammed to become their number one assassin. See, that's, that's why I hate acupuncture. Cries. As well, you should. I didn't know that this was a problem. I thought it was just a quack science, not like, oh, and now I'm a killer for the triad and will be forever. Well, my mother was really into acupuncture when I was a kid. Really? That sounds like a joke, but it's really not. Um, it really was. My, my mother used to get really bad migraines, uh-huh. and acupuncture is the one thing that would alleviate her migraines. Uh, and as a kid, I sh- she would be like, it's when these take needles in you. And as a kid, I was like, what? No. 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 That's a terrible <laughs> idea. Why are you doing, Why are you agreeing to this? Are you insane? Right. And so if you said to me at that point, 
actually they're reprogramming your mother to make it seem like that's okay I totally would have believed you I would have been like I'm sure you would have yeah it's a good thing you didn't come uh, uh, across Crime Freeman at an early impressionable age plus the the strange blowjobs I think it totally would have disturbed you on just about every possible level Um, I uh, thought the implication is if it was normal (laughs) blowjobs No, because they're well, strange. What is, who what knows is, what age you were at, Graham? What's that? What is, what is You don't want me. To, no, I'm not going to define it for the scope of this conversation. Well, You'll just have to take. My it's word just word. turning into the conversation I had with with the person Newsarama when Catwoman came out, and we got into this horrific discussion about sex oh, no. versus real really? versus oh. normal sex, or uh, right. sorry, rape versus normal sex, which is what made it spectacular. Oh, that sounds like the worst conversation. Ever. It pretty much was. Yeah, it, I, it, I, so you're saying it's approaching that levels now? I know, I'm saying it just reminds me of the... Oh, okay. So she starts saying strange, as like strange and normal, and then it's like, I'm becoming that person from Newsarama. I'm, I'm yeah. going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. No, I just, you'll have to take my word for it, because, yeah, there's well, one blow part, part of me now wants to read it. Yeah, and believe me, you'll regret that part very soon. I just don't think I don't think it's for you. I kind of loved it. I mean, it went so batshit. But even like the way that it was going batshit before, I mean, it's just you know, it's by because uh, it's 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 written by Kazuo Koike. I'm gonna screw that up. The guy who wrote Lone Wolf and Cub and Lady Snowblood, and he's got. Um, really interesting views on things. And, I mean, admittedly, the 70s were kind of a rape-tastic decade generally, as far as the, the popular arts go, but even at some points he's doing things. If it wasn't for the fact that, it, because of the acupuncture thing, in some ways Crying Freeman himself is kind of oddly a, um, a, like a male rape victim in a, weirdo, in a very weird, cloaked way. He starts off as being and that's the other thing is how much they fetishize him like that for reading this book it really was odd like you definitely get shots of copious nudity of his love object and the woman tattooing him and the 80 year old assassin queen who like teaches him his art but never as much as you have shots of him jumping around you know with his pert buttocks and women going he will be the perfect assassin because he is more beautiful than anything you know kind of stuff it's like huh that's odd like it's really kind of like what if Electra were a dude in the 70s um and it was being written by someone being driven insane from syphilis you know what it really sounds to me like yes it sounds to me like Wolverine plus in all seriousness it sounds to me like it's all the tropes that we recognize from Wolverine Mm-hmm. Just taken to a further extreme. Uh, yeah, actually, well, I mean, it really is kind of a superhero comic in that he's got his costume with his little tattoos, and then he's usually fighting some other assassin who's got amazing superpowers of assassination as well. No, but also the uh, fetishiz- fetishization of a violence and b the character being violent. Yeah, the character being very, violent. Yeah. very Wolverine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and and also the elements, the initial elements of self pity that seem to disappear as as the book goes on. Sort of in the same way that that Wolverine went from being like a smelly runt who everyone hated to Joe Awesome of the Awesome Verse. Um, Crying Freeman goes from being a victim of the triad, who is like the number one drug importer of worldwide. Um, to becoming essentially awesome the head of the triad organ, yeah, exactly of the awesomeness, yeah, exactly. I, I so, thought your where you're going with that was the Wolverine went from being a smelly run that nobody liked to being the person who felt bad about everything. Yeah, well, he, yeah, he kind I, of did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he totally. Right, the part where totally it was does. like you know, if there's one man who knows honor in the world, yeah. it's this character. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's pretty much, that is, that's Crying Freeman as well. So they definitely keep the, yeah, he's the last honorable guy. We should have seen. Boy, that would have been awesome. Because really, Wolverine would have fit right in, and if they'd both been naked, it would have been hard seeing, like, Wolverine's hairy buttocks bouncing all over the comic panels, but it probably would have been worth it. I uh, <laughs> So anyway, I'm glad we started that out. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. So Crying Freeman, it was bad, but it was so addictive, and it kind of wrecked my brain. And I basically spent. But you're saying it's bad. 
Because honestly, all through this, I was taking you as saying, this is great. It's an acquired taste, but it's great. It's, well, it's Brad Meltzer decoded bad, I guess. I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's... Did I tell you that I've gone off the, that show? No. Yes. What, I hear things. It's not them. It's me. <gasps> I, what? I made it like three episodes into the new season. And I was like, yeah, I'm done. They're not, they're not <laughs> doing anything different. It's like for that one one season, it was perfect. And then I'm done. Right. Right. Well, that makes sense. I mean, because really, there's only so much silliness you can do. Yeah, take. I guess. So. But, you know, that very complex way in which we talk about things, you, I you think kind of it is. I think it's terrible, but at the same time, you also completely adore Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, it, 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 Crying Freeman was not good at all. Well, there's parts of it that are, um, yeah, it's just, it's badly plotted, the characterization, there's all this stuff that's disturbing. But I really, I did enjoy reading it, and I really missed it when it was gone. To the point where I was like, "Huh, I wonder how many, how many volumes are there?" Like, and I was having the worst trouble finding that out. Like, it was really yeah, tough. Because there's also an obsessive thing about that because I have just finished rereading or reading, I should say, all of the X Factor collections from the local library. Oh my all, god! All of them. Wow. Which is like twelve volumes. Yeah. Um, and. At no point, if you'd stopped me and said, are you loving this series because you're reading all of them, I would have been able to say, I'm loving it. I think the best I could say was, it's completely readable. But right. at some point, I was like, because I can read them all, I'm going to read them all. Right. Well, and there might have been a bit of that with Crying Freeman, but definitely when I was done, I was like, I do want to read the rest of this. Interestingly enough, I've been flipping through uh, Nation X trade paperback intermittently and I'm fascinated like at some point I'm like I'm gonna have to read this in sequence because it's just like pick it up (laughs) read six pages flip to another part read six pages you get a gist of the subplot and I'm I'm fascinated I'm fascinated that this is in a way I'm fascinated that it's being written by Matt Fraction in a way because it's like because Apart from the few unflattering things that I would associate with with Fraction's writing, it doesn't really read much like him. I think, like it, re- it, it's, it's, it's very dull. Like it's very. It could it could actually be the side effect of God. Is it who, who's the art? Is it Larocca or Greg Land? Uh, it's Greg Land. Larocca is uh, Iron Man. Okay, yeah. I think that the Greg Land's art just maybe flattens out any of the verve there. Mm-hmm. But also it's just it's it's not especially witty. I don't think it does an, of a, a particularly good job of having the characters sound in character, but they're all kind of I, I feel like most of Fraction's characters are braggy. Like I, I just like that was one of the things that struck me about the Defenders, the Doctor Strange piece, and the the point one issue mm-hmm. is like I didn't know who was doing it. I'm like, oh, this must be Fraction because the characters being kind of like at least there there was half an idea in it too. But it was like oh, he's being St- Doctor Strange is being super braggy in a way that he never really is. You know, I just think that's strange. Anyway, so reading this X Men where it's like. Magneto's humble bragging to like Namor who's like braggy bragging and then you go back to the meeting room where Cyclops is like humble bragging uh, against (laughs) Dr. Nemesis who's braggy bragging like it's really odd like it really really what what I kind of think you're describing when you're saying like it's flat is Mm -hmm. Fraction basically writing an X-Men comic there's a tone with the X-Men because I was thinking as well reading uh, un- the Uncanny X-Men relaunch this week, the Kieran Gillen, uh, Carlos Pacheco one. Right. The fact that really the only X-Men comic I have read recently, by which I mean a comic called X-Men, not X-Factor or X-Force right. or whatever, um, that hasn't felt like it has been written by the same generic writer is Wolverine and the X-Men. And that's kind of the case for years now. Right. Uh, one of well, the yeah. one of the reasons that I think the franchise has stayed so sa- stable is because there really is like a such a generic tone to all these books. Yeah, but you know, here's the weird thing. I don't think that that tone that tone might be 
X-Men, but it is very much current X-Men. I'd even go on a limb and almost say that it is like a doled-down version of Joss Whedon's Astonishing I, I can totally see that. I can yeah, totally see that. Because uh, it didn't read to me very Claremont-y. It read very different in a way. No, Cla- Claremont has been dropped. Claremont mm-hmm. has, has been lost. And part of me wonders if that's because uh, Claremont's X-Books are not selling, essentially. Um, but ever since, God, what was it called? Messiah Complex. Mm-hmm. I would say the X-Men books have all sounded like they're the same writer. And at that point, they've gone through Brubaker, Fraction, Gale. Um, Carrie, my Carrie, right? Yeah, Carrie's, Carrie's almost more Claremontian. Yeah, I could see that. Um, and... But yeah, so it's, it's been Brubaker, Fraction, Gillen, and even Jason Aaron and Schism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All seems like the work of the same writer, which is yeah. either great for fans who like that, right, or right. terrible for fans who like those writers. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because Brubaker's X-Men didn't seem like X-Men. Fraction's X-Men didn't seem like Fraction. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, Gillen's X- yeah, yeah. X-Men doesn't really seem like Gillen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's interesting. I totally, I totally believe it. At least looking at this fraction stuff, where I was just like, "Yeah, I, you know, the majority of the characters." I was kind of like, "I'm, I'm," I think, in in, in a weird way, I'm very uh, spoiled with by. I, it makes me have more appreciation even for the writing that Remender's doing on X Force in a way. I guess because, because it's it's outside of that. Yeah, it's outside of that. Yeah, it's outside of that scope. But it also has, like, I don't know, it's just a little more idiosyncratic, I suppose. I mean, the thing that's interesting is, unlike you, I kind of dig the whole, like, uh, Israel metaphor that they're doing with X-Men. And I think I'd take it more if I thought they were going somewhere with it. Well, yeah, I suppose, except, see, this is your idea of, like, what... At what point is going somewhere um, gone somewhere? You know what I mean? Because they've been evolving this story for like what four years now, five years now. Well, they, they've, they've been having this. They've been having this story for four or five. Years. I'm not <laughs> sure if it's been evolving. It's the thing. I mean, right? Um, did you read Uncanny X Men one? No, I, I have not read that. I still haven't read Wolverine uh, and the X Men number one either. Uh, I really enjoyed Wolverine and the X Men, which I think I said yes. last time. Uh, Uncanny X Men one, I had so much more problems with. In large part because it feels like a continuation of Uncanny X-Men, which I wasn't happy with, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. Um, but also because I didn't, it didn't feel organic in the way that Wolverine and X-Men did. Mm-hmm. It felt very much like these characters are here because the writer wanted to write these characters. And the explanation the characters have in story makes no sense. Mm. And if you can't buy into that... Mm-hmm. It, everything kind of falls apart. Do you know what I mean? Right. No, so, so Cyclops' whole theory now is everyone thinks we're terrorists. Therefore, if I make my team out of all the former bad guys and Storm, for no major reason, um, then they will be too scared to attack us. The end. Huh. Buh. Well, this <laughs> ties into this ties into something that wasn't wasn't like Rich Johnston pointing out the comparisons between Cyclops and like Kim Jong Il? Yeah, well, it was on Bleeding Co. It wasn't. It was someone else. It was the the, the new. It wasn't. It wasn't. But it was on Bleeding Co. Yeah. Okay. Great. Right. So yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I I I also have trouble buying that as an actual working concept. Um, it just it just one... seems it seems extra odd after Schism, I guess. Where mm-hmm. the entire point of Schism is. Now everyone's got sentinels and they all want to kill us. And I really don't think the so now we're made up of people who want to kill you back is really Well, but I guess I mean part of me is like, well, or maybe it's it's an idea of like, yeah, don't I don't know. I yeah, agree. I don't it's I don't I don't know if it is a uh don't mess with us, we won't mess with you thing or not. Um right. it's a shame because the A plots, like if you get past the setup of this series, which I have real problems with. I, I really like the cliffhanger mm-hmm. of the issue. Um, and I, I kind of like the idea that I'm possibly reading into it based upon the very first page where it introduces the team. 
it also includes Mr. Sinister in that, mm. suggesting that maybe he's the team. And at some point in the book, Sinister essentially says to Cyclops, you're trying to set yourself up as a badass superhero team. Well, I'm being the bad guy, so I'm helping you with this. And I kind of like that. I kind of like that. He's like, I'm helping you. I know it doesn't seem like this, but I'm helping you. But his, his, the, the cliffhanger, and you'll enjoy this being where you are, mm-hmm. um, is that he, the Dreaming Celestial has been part of basically Marvel lore in San Francisco since Neil Gaiman did the Eternal series. Eternals, yeah, exactly. Sinister somehow manages to take control of the Dreaming Sentinel. Mm-hmm and takes the head and lands it in the Palace of Fine Arts, which transforms it into a time-bending society filled with hymns. <laughs> which is kind of awesome. And so the last, the, the end of the issue is a double-page spread of a giant Mr. Sinister head on top of this building that is both old-fashioned and, mod- and futuristic at the same time. With lots of Mr. Sinister around in like top hats and canes mm-hmm. and they're on carousels and things, and he's saying, Everything is sinister. <laughs> like that's kind of awesome. <laughs> but to get to that, I have to get past all this stuff that I just don't buy. Right. Right. Well, in the end of that, I don't know, that's it seems like a weird I'm like, huh, it almost seems like a piss take on the stuff that Remender's doing in Uncanny X Force to me. But not that that's either here or there, actually. I'm sure it's not, but that's I'm like, huh, that's very odd. Um and, and I can see where you would dig that. Maybe maybe it'll be easier for you as each issue goes. Well, no, exactly. Maybe when they don't have Cyclops saying, this is why I've gathered you all together, all you people I can't trust, you're going right. to be my confidants. Right. Um, yeah, maybe it, as it goes on, and I'm going to believe that these people even could work together. Part of it might be that I'm so I'm still hung up on the fact that Cyclops does not seem like Cyclops. And that's well, why I have to let that go. It's been years. Like, yeah, he's acting exactly. like this despite for, like, five years. Um, yeah. Well, and some of the stuff that was coming out of his mouth in, in the Nation X stuff, I was just like, what? Like, it was so not... I did not even know who the character was. Well, that, that's that's the problem. I mean, ever since the whole X-Force thing, he's like, killing's terrible. So that's why I've gathered together a team of killers. Right. It's been like, really? what? Really? It, it's this weird thing that I think Morrison started and, and Whedon really ran with. That mm-hmm. Scott's a really good superhero. Because that's all right. he's ever been told to be. Mm-hmm. And I think at some point that turned into, Scott's a really good soldier. Right. And then that turned into, Scott doesn't have a purpose outside of being a soldier. And, you know, the weird part is I'm inclined to, like, all of that would make sense to me. Like, I think that that's, like, a really... Well, I think it's a... That's a... Yes? I was going to say, I think it's an interesting idea. I just don't think it works. Yeah, I mean, it's a great it's a great pitch on the character. My problem was reading that character didn't... Like, it didn't work. Like, there is a, there is a transition. I do have to say that I thought that... Morrison did a good job in positioning his Cyclops as the, you know, sort of the Cyclops that we know, more of the troubled, brooding, loner type guy, and kind of, you know, beginning to come into his own with the stuff with Emma, but I don't know. I just, I I really was like, yeah, it's, it's very hard to see that that character... Like, it's like that, like, flipping through Nation X. I'm like, okay, so what happened to... There's nothing of this guy that I recognize as the old Cyclops. And therefore, there's a way in which seeing that transition go on is kind of inherently uninteresting. Because you just get a lot of people talking about it. Like, it seems like everyone usually, like, at least in the Nation X trade at least once an issue if not every other issue there's going to have there's like a page or two page what's going on with Scott scene where other people talk about Scott and the things that they're doing and they analyze him and they sort of lay it all out on a plate for you and it's very it's very spoon fed in a way because you don't actually I don't feel like I'm seeing that go on in the character and does it not feel 
I don't want to say unearned, but there's if something really rings false about it. I feel that the characters keep saying something along the lines of, Scott's not acting like himself. I guess he's been forced into the by circumstances, but there's never any payoff. Right. Do you know what I mean? I, right. like, it would, no, it would it's make been going sense. on for years now. Yeah, and yeah, it would exactly. make sense if at some point like he broke, which right. is what I thought Schism was going to be. I thought Schism was going to be essentially the end of this arc, where Scott right. either dies or breaks. Right. And to see that not happen. And it just to be like, yeah. well, I've lost half the team and all of my friends are disillusioned with me and hate me. So I'm doing this. Right. I, I want him to at some point, and you know, Kieran, you're probably listening to this, please, at some point, have Scott actually have a reaction to this. Mm. Like not the internalizing thing. I don't know. I think when you you're, I think when you've had characters point out that it's very weird for so long, you have to deal with it. Yeah, I think so. I, although, I mean, you know, again, you know, on the one hand, we're talking about, you know, an X-Men title where where, <laughs> where you you've had subplots go on forever, you know. Um, and, I, I yeah, I just kind of, ha- I have a sneaking suspicion that that's the end game and they keep coming up with new widgets to stick in before that you yeah. know and maybe it maybe it's collapsed under its own weight for most readers i don't know i mean i still don't have much interest in reading it it's fascinating flipping through the trades in a way because i find myself being like this is an idea that i would find that i find really interesting and appealing and yet the way it's being handled i have very little interest that's in. really so, funny because i read um the uncanny x-men i think it's called quarantine trade it's the final fraction issues in the first um, Gillen issues. Gillen issues. Uh-huh. Um, this weekend, and I had exactly the same response. Mm-hmm. I thought this, there's really interesting ideas in here, and the way it's being, the, the execution is just. It's not even that it's lacking; it's that it doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> like I, I spend right. more time thinking, why is this happening this way? Than reading the story, if that makes sense. Right. No, I do. I do get that. I do get it. And what's interesting is, is that I think that despite our um, old school complainy fanboy cred, I don't think that we tend to do that usually. I don't know. Oh, you know I, I, like, I think I do. I think there are times where I get really hung up. I mean, I'm still hung up on... John Stewart, as far as I'm concerned, is not a Marine who has no problem killing people. Mm-hmm. And that still rankles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, so well, that is th- true. Things yeah, like yeah, that yeah. I, I mm-hmm. do really stick for me. Oh, I see. So the ca- sticking stuff is more like the character stuff, the character definition. Yeah, I, yeah. You, okay. you, can, you can, like, kill whoever off, and I'll be like, mm-hmm. that, that's an interesting direction to take. But when it doesn't ring true in the character level, that's, that's the part where I'm like, What? <laughs> No, and I, I, I take it back. I, in that sense, I'm the same way. Um, in some ways, I feel like I've had to let it go just because I think especially at Marvel, like so many characters have moved out of alignment with what I feel comfortable with. Yeah, there, there's it's really... Did you see the thing on iFanboy about how Marvel is essentially stealth rebooting its entire line in doing things no. like that? Right, no, but I'm not surprised. Like that—that's an older. If so, that's an older theory that's been floating around, right? The stealth reboot for Marvel. Yeah, it's just I saw it in an article that was basically like when people are saying, "What is Marvel going to do in response to DC's reboots?" Someone's right. like, "They're already doing it, and they've been doing it for like two years." Yeah, yeah, no, that I think is is the case. But uh, but I'm curious. Hey, did you follow? Because I think this is something that one of the other commenters on the thread pointed out. Uh, they talked about the end of Spider Island. Did you have you been following it through? Did no, you read it? No, I have. I read like the first. Uh, actually, I read a lot. I read like maybe half of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of realized I didn't care. Mm-hmm. Spider Spider Island is. It's funny because I keep seeing so many people saying Spider Island is crossover is done right. And I didn't like. I got more sense of event and drama and intensity from Fear itself than I did from Spider Island. Huh. Interesting. Did you read it? I I didn't. I think I might have read. I picked up an issue that I read somewhere in there where like Peter Parker jumps in and. 
basically rallies a bunch of people together, you know, a bunch of other spider types, you know. And then he's like, oh, wait, we're going to lose. I'm going to go home and see my aunt. Yeah, exactly. No, 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 no. No, he does this thing. He makes this speech. No, I I, I think I read that issue as well. Yeah, exactly. And then he goes back to the lab, and then there's some sort of thing that annoyed the shit out of me. (laughs) And then that's it. Yeah, and then the end for Jeff. So, I mean, I've, you know, I'll be honest. It's funny because I feel like he's, he, from the number of times that he's come and gone on the title, I'm willing to bet. Uh, no, I was going to say Umberto Ramos oh. is probably some people's definitive Spider-Man artist, and I've just never really cared for his work on Spider-Man. Like, it's probably about as close as you're going to get for a title for him in the Marvel Universe that he would fit with, but eh, just it's not my thing. 